0: But shalom. This is part four in our series of the Malkit Zedek. Turn with me to Romia, Romans chapter 5, verse 14. I love this scripture now in light of my understanding. I hope that you're going to love this passage as much as I. Romia, Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moshe, Even over all those who had not sinned after the sin of Adam's transgression, who is the type of him that was to come. So here we learn that Adam is the type of him to come. And as in the previous three teachings, I've been explaining that Adam was the first Malchit Zedek and Yeshua is the final Malkit Zedek. But this passage now makes so much sense to me because death reigned from Adam to Moshe. That doesn't mean that nobody died after Moshe. But what this is communicating to us is the, the Malkit Zedek, the first Malkit Zedek Adam, to the last Malkit Zedek that was standing and undefiled before Israel because Moshe Rabbeinu was up on the mountain he was receiving the commandments he was receiving and in good standing with Yahweh in the meantime Israel was down at the bottom of the mountain and they were in the sin committing the sin of the golden calf so Yahweh is about to wipe out the whole of Israel because he said why Moshe, I'll start a new priesthood. I'll continue the priesthood, excuse me, with you, Moshe. Because you haven't been defiled. So this verse right here is speaking about death reign from Adam to Moshe, because Moshe was the last Malchizedek who was not involved, had not become defiled with what was going on at the sin of the golden calf. That is why Yahweh was quite willing to start over with a new nation, beginning with Moshe. But Moshe was a mediator. He was a Zedek mediator, and he mediated with Yahweh, and Yahweh relented. And then he added the book of the law because of transgressions. Because there were transgressions, multiple transgressions going on at the golden calf. And therefore, we find now Israel is under, underneath a tutor called the book of the law, until the time of reformation, when the seed would come, Yeshua, the son, the one of promise, and the final Melchizedek, that would then usher in a new priesthood of the first order, the primary priesthood, the priesthood that you would no longer be a nation with a priest, but you would be a Kadosh holy nation of koanim, of priests. What a transference. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that it is a transference, and what an amazing reality to us all today. And I'm encouraged, because as we've been reteaching this over the past few weeks, people have been contacting us from all over the world, from South Africa, from England, from Canada, from Australia, that they're now understanding how to not just live it their lives, but communicate it and teach others as a nation of priests. That is what this is designed for. And it is amazing and truly encouraging. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a kadosh, holy nation, a peculiar people, yes, that ye should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a peculiar people, especially when we start communicating our belief system to a sick, twisted, and depraved world. So accept that you're a peculiar people, But realize that you are a chosen generation. And in the scripture, the royal kingly priesthood that existed, there was only one. So this verse connects us back to the Malki, kingly, zadic, righteous reality. Because the Aaronic priesthood was not kingly, was it not? No, so this is talking about what existed beforehand. This is exactly if you look at the same Malkithidic verbiage that appears in Exodus 19:5 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 it's that same Malkithidic verbiage and again we'll see it in the apocalypse in Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 in Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 we see this dripping Malkithidic language so why did the apostle Paul stop with Moses because Moses was that mediator and that last Zedek that was not defiled, that was able to mediate because of his position. Now, as we continue through the teaching on the Zedek, something that is often a knee-jerk reaction is what I call lumping covenants. And I've done a teaching in the past on clearing up covenant confusion. I think we did that in 10 points. That's a great tool to reference to, and it's on the internet. But a lot of people um, can do the knee-jerk, go to your Bible program, and you can start to look for the Hebrew word Brit. And um, wherever you see the word Brit, all of a sudden, there jumps a covenant. But I really want to be careful as we understand the Edict that we don't lump covenants. And what do I mean? Turn with me in your scriptures to Shemot, Exodus chapter 34. We'll get there in a minute. But before we do, I'd like to explain a couple of things to aid us as we try and understand these covenants. So the book of the law began in Exodus 24, 12. That added law when Yahweh said to Moshe, come up here and you will also receive the law of commandments. This was after the blood ratification of the book of the covenant. So we know that nothing can be added to the blood ratified covenant. It has to be something clearly and distinctly different. So now the book of the law begins in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, and it extends all the way through Deuteronomy and into parts of Joshua. And this does include the law of Moses. And it's not a covenant in a zedek sense. And let me just clarify that, because I have had some questions about that. Because there is no proposal... There is no acceptance, there is no blood ratification, and there is no covenant confirming meal. So this is not a covenant in the Malkitsetic sense of the word. What we can see that there's not even any blood at all with this particular book of the law. It's more of a pledge, an enactment of law, or an alliance with Israel, so that they would have what? life rather than being wiped out. Does it include covenant? Yes. Is it the covenant that appears in the allegory of Sarah and Hagar? Is the book of the law that covenant that appears with the allegory of Sarah and Hagar? Yes. But it isn't Melchizedek in its covenant reality. Because none of the elements are present. And that's what I really want to clarify because we need to kind of slow things down and unlearn so that we can truly learn for the first time with new eyes, with new eyes. So what we find is this is more of an enactment of law or a pledge or an alliance to the flesh of carnal Israel. An alliance, a pledge to the flesh of carnal Israel. That's why in Joshua chapter 24 verse 6, Joshua can add to the book of the law. How can he add to the book of the law? Because it was never blood ratified covenant. That's why he can add to it. That's why Joshua in Joshua chapter 24, verse 26, can add to the book of the law. He couldn't do that if it was a blood ratified covenant, Galatians 3.15. Now, it's inclusive of the second set of tablets, the law of Moses, because why is it called the law of Moses? Because Moses cut the stones. Moses communicated with the people. Moses did not mediate this law concession. What he mediated was that the people wouldn't be slaughtered. But Yahweh imposed this without their agreement. They had no option. It was either this or annihilation. So when I say Moses was the mediator... He didn't mediate out this law concession. He mediated with Yahweh that Yahweh would relent. There's a big difference. Because Yahweh didn't come to Moses and say, Well, look, you know, this is what... He just implemented it, imposed it. They had no agreement to it whatsoever. Do or die. Do or die. So Moses delivered this formal legal oration to the whole of Israel. They really couldn't say no. Yahweh didn't engage with the people with whom he was making this temporal law enactment directly. Yahweh set up a perimeter between him and the people in which only the Levites could function showing us the already in function Levitical or more properly understood Aaronic priesthood. And that's something that I have to address too, and I I'm, I'm, will get into it more in future times. But often we hear it said, the Levitical priesthood. There is no such thing in the Torah as a Levitical priesthood because the Levites were not in the priesthood. That's why Korah, who was a Levite, challenged the priesthood. So we have this term that we throw around without thinking, the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. In the Torah, there is no such thing as a Levitical priesthood. There is an Aaronic priesthood of which The sons of Aaron, Ithamar and Eleazar, after the other two sons were wiped out, those were the only ones left, could partake of. But Levites, they were what? The ones, they were like hod carriers. Oh, how can you say such a thing? Those of you from England would know, a hod carrier is somebody who carries up the bricks to to the brickies. They were the laborers. They truly were. They were the hod carriers of the Aaronic system. But they couldn't draw close to Yahweh. So this whole idea of a Levitical priesthood, we don't even see that word appear in Scripture to the book of Hebrews until we find it appear one time in the book of Hebrews. But it is in monks bringing clarity to those that are outside and are now being exposed to the reality of the Melchizedek realm. You see, so oftentimes we have to slow things down question to bring clarity because it's too easy to go headstrong charging into the wind thinking we've got full force behind us but in reality we have the force of doctrine tradition and dogma that's pushing us on telling don't question don't question sometimes we have to slow it down and go well hang on a minute do i realize what i'm saying so with that Yahweh didn't engage with the people with whom he was making this temporal enactment of law. Yahweh set up a perimeter around him which only those from the tribe of Levi could function, but those within the family of Aaron could actually be in the priesthood, showing us that there was already in function, an Aaronic priesthood, Numbers 3.12 at Exodus chapter 34, demonstrating that this, in fact, this book of the law is none other than a bloodless law action. Very different from a Malkitsetic reality. This is a bloodless law action. To be under... The Aaronic priesthood, Hebrews 7.11, and not a Malchizedek priesthood covenant of promise of which we are now partakers of, Ephesians 2.12. It's really important, it's really important that we understand the distinction between the initial blood covenant with the first set of tablets and the second set of tablets, which was what? Really important we understand that those second set of tablets was not a blood covenant. It's very easy to just go ram-charging through and not stop and go, well, hang on a minute. Those second set of tablets were not a blood covenant. This distinction of blood and no blood between them identifies what? They cannot be one and the same. They cannot be one and the same. How many of us have just torn through the pages of Scripture and they're one of the same? How many of us have read through the Scripture and not realized that Moshe Rabbeinu is going up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down? So many times that people don't. It's so easy to read it all together, and then all of a sudden I'm a heretic. But I am a heretic because the definition of a heretic is somebody who questions Catholic tradition. I hope you're all heretics because if you are part of the Melchizedek priesthood, then that is what it is. It's absolute heresy to the Catholic dogma and doctrine of which the Protestants didn't protest enough. You see, what an amazing reality that we live in today. So Galatians the book of Galatians identifies what law was added at Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12 after the ratified book of the covenant Galatian doesn't mention the five books of Moses as the traditional antinomian church would have you believe, nor does Galatians mention the oral law as messianics would have you believe, nor does it mention a separate law of Moses. So, what does Galatians mention? It identifies by very name the book of the law in chapter 3, verse 10. Verse 17 of chapter 3 of Galatians informs us that the law, which is now identified previously in verse 10, came 430 years later and was after the covenant, the book of the covenant. This identifies that the law that was added in Exodus Exodus 24, verse 12, after after the blood-ratified covenant was confirmed, was, verse 10, none other than the book of the law. There's no need to do scriptural gymnastics. No need to do esoteric twisting. There's no emotional pleas. But we just start to slow things down, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, and we find that the added law in Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, can only be the book of the law according to Rav Sholiak Shaul's, Rabbi Apostle Paul's communications to the Galatians. And this is confirmed by Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. So now, hopefully, you're all at Shemot, Exodus chapter 34, and I started off with the premise, don't lump covenants. So with that small introduction, let's not lump the covenant of Exodus 34 into anything Melchizedek, because we're going to see no blood actions. So Exodus 34, it is not a covenant of promise. It comes after the original Melchizedek covenant and the break or breach of the golden calf as does the balance of Exodus from Exodus chapter 25 onwards, as does Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the balance of the Tanakh. This is a Levitical, a Levitical concession action. It is not a covenant of promise. It's really more like an emergency patch bandage or an enactment of law until when. The time of reformation when Messiah would come and enable you to connect back to covenant. So we know now that Yahweh's solution was to wipe all of Israel out. A national death and to start out and over again with that last Malchizedek Zedek that was undefiled, Moses. Exodus 32.10 But we know that Moshe pleaded. He pleaded with Yahweh. And Yahweh, out of his long suffering and his mercy, he relented. But there would be consequences because Yahweh relented. And what were those consequences? They were put under the Aaronic priesthood. They were put under the book of the law, which was an enactment of damage control laws to keep them safe and alive until a greater mediator than Moses could come along and through his death pay the blood Position the death position of Exodus, excuse me Genesis fifteen and enable them to connect back to the covenant we spoke last week, and I want to reintroduce you again to those four elements that must be apparent with the covenants of promise ephesians two hundred twelve there 's got to be a proposal, there has to be an agreement, there has to be a blood ratification, and there has to be a covenant confirming meal and it needs to attach back to Avraham. That is Melchizedek reality. None of that is present in Exodus chapter 34, is it? None of it whatsoever. So these four things do attach back to Abraham's promised covenant at Genesis 15. It's a mistake, a big mistake, to confuse the oath covenant of Phineas, because many people will bring that up, or the shoe covenants, or these threshold covenants that people talk about with the covenants of promise. And again, I've gone into this in depth with clearing up covenant confusion in 10 points that you can look into. But these covenants of promise that we're talking about, which are Malkit Zedek, are, number one, the Genesis 15, the promise covenant. Number two, we'll see the book of the covenant, Exodus 19, 5 through 24, 8, which was the seal or that answer that came 430 years later, the fulfillment of everything that Yahweh spoke to Abraham before. Then the third we see is the renew or, excuse me, the new covenant. See, did you catch that? What did I say? For 10 years... In the messianic movement, people are being—it's like, a renewed covenant. This is a renew covenant. See, and still I know better, but it just slips out because it's pre-programming. A covenant once it's broken, it can't be renewed. It has to be new. It's a new covenant. But for 10 years, we had teachers going around saying, well, it's kind of like the moon. It's not really a new moon. And it all sounds hunky-dory, but it is programming. You see? I've got to unprogram. So do you. We're working together to get unshackled from this mess. Get unshackled from the traditions and the rhetoric, the religious rhetoric that people just hold on to. And you're like, it's okay. It's okay. Take the words of Gamaliel. If it's truly of Yahweh, you can't fight against it. And if it's of man, don't worry about it. It'll fail. It'll fail, Acts chapter 5. You try and release the grip, and it's... (laughs) We find this third look at the Melchizedek reality with the New Covenant. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, and Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Hebrews chapter 8 then the beauty, the fourth time we see this, is the marriage of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. It's a legitimate attachment to, of course, the oath, Yahweh's promise at Genesis 12 through Hebrews 6.13. So in reality, there are five covenants that are Melchizedek. Five considerations And we know that five is what? The number of redemption. We're being redeemed back to the former glory. And it's interesting to note that they all have, of course, a covenant-confirming meal attached to them. Each one of these covenants of promise that we're to search out Ephesians 2.12 has this covenant-confirming meal attached to it. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. This oath, of course, is everlasting, everlasting. And when's the, when's the, where's the meal? Where's the meal that's attached to Genesis chapter 12? Where is it? And the knee-jerk reaction is, it's not there. But we have to step out so that we can step in. Because what we have to see is that Yahweh began this promise... To an individual that extended to a family. But then at the mountain, after he released all of the families that were in slavery, it went from an individual and a family to a nation and a family. But before it went and culminated with a nation and a family, what did Yahweh have to do? He had to release them out of slavery. So where is that meal that attaches back to Genesis 12? You're not going to partake of it until you're released from slavery, of course. It is the Passover of Exodus chapter 12 is what connects back to Genesis chapter 12. The connecting rod to the very promise It's right there, but you can get so bogged down on your little piece of the playing field that you forget to stand back out so that you can see the full scope of the whole of Scripture. You see, we can't get so shackled into our own narrow-mindedness that we're not willing to step out. Be secure. Be secure in the word of Yahweh that is in you. Because I have a hope and a promise and you have a hope and a promise. We do not have to white knuckle it because the Ruach HaKodesh is in us and will confirm through his word. You can step out, step in. Step. You do not have to lock yourself down into the dogmas and traditions that we have been taught where you can't question, where you have to just stick your flag in the ground and defend it to the hill. You. You don't have to do that because that exposes what? Insecurity. It exposes your insecurity and ill equipment in the word of Yahweh. And we are beyond that. We don't have to fight because Yahweh is the one that if this is of him, you cannot fight against it. And if it's not, we can all pack up our trash and go home okay it's freedom freedom to covenant righteousness covenant righteousness. So we find that the Exodus 12 meal is the connecting rod back to the Genesis 12 promise. Now there's multiplicity and there's going to be soon approaching freedom for the nation. It's gone from an individual and a family and it's about to go to a nation and families that you will all be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests What an amazing blessing. The meal is the first Passover, Exodus chapter 12, pointing to and, of course, culminating in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now we'll go to the second one, of course. The second covenant of promise we find, of course, is Genesis chapter 15. And the meal is in Genesis chapter 18, verse 3 through 8, complete with foot washing. Complete with foot washing. And yes, it's okay for you to have a cheeseburger and a lasagna. Just thought I'd throw that out there. The third, of course, covenant of promise we find is Exodus nineteen five to Exodus chapter twenty four verse eight, the book of the covenant. Galatians three eighteen speaks of, and the meal, of course, is when Yahweh invites up the elders of Israel, and they see him, and he's what sits down and eats a meal in Exodus chapter twenty four nine through eleven. And the fourth covenant of promise. These are the covenants that we should be searching out. These are the covenants of promise that we should be searching out. The new covenant, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. And of course, the confirming meal is Passover with the new instruction from Yeshua. This do in remembrance of me. And now we'll go to the fifth covenant of promise, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. The marriage of the lamb to his bride, Israel, and the meal is the much-hailed marriage supper of the lamb, Revelation 19:9. 9. It all unfolds beautifully before us, does it not? You see all of these factors, proposal, agreement, blood ratification, covenant-confirming meal, and a direct attachment back to the promise given to Abraham. We see them all. All of these factors are present in the original Malchizedek book of the covenant. And you see none of these factors, zip, zero, none of these factors present at this Levitical covenant or law reenactment of Exodus chapter 34, none of them present whatsoever. There's no mass invitation into a national priesthood of all 12 tribes, as you see in Exodus 19.5. Only the certainty of what? In Exodus 34, there is only the certainty of the tribe of Levi and the priesthood of the sons of Aaron. Would you be able to um, have a little look next door? Duct tape is in the office on the way out. Thank you. Now, many people would say, but I don't understand. How are you dividing up the law? I mean, you can't divide the Torah. And and have any of you heard that before? uh, When you start to communicate, people are like, you're dividing the law. You can't divide up the law. The Apostle Paul divided up the law. In fact, if we go to the New Testament, we'll find that there's 19 divisions of Torah. 19 divisions of law. Let's go and have a look at that because we really need to put this to bed. Because to say that the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, or the Apostle Paul, doesn't divide the law is an asinine statement. It's an asinine statement in the light of the fact that Paul identifies sixteen divisions of law, but there's really nineteen divisions that are mentioned in the New Testament. Let's have a look at these law divisions. Romans chapter 3, we find the, what? the law of faith. We find the law of works. We find another law, the law of marriage. We find another law, the law of a lower. We find the law of my members. We find the law of the mind. We find the law of sin. We find the law of death. We find the law of the Ruach. We find the law of righteousness. We find the law of Moses. We find the law of Christ. We find the law of commandments contained in ordinances. We find the law under the Aaronic priesthood. We find the law of carnal commandments. And Paul identifies the 16th law as civil law. So when somebody says you can't divide the law, that is an asinine statement in light of the New Testament. Now, if you want to throw out the New Testament and you just want to get into the traditions of the rabbis, then then maybe you'd have a foot to stand on. But when you look into that, then you'd really see that even the rabbis divide up the law. So we have to understand that Scripture teaches law division. We must rightly divide it. That's the key. That's the key. That's what Paul was speaking to Timothy. Now, James adds another two divisions of law. There's the perfect law of liberty. And then there is, of course, the royal law. And then the writer of the book of Hebrews, he adds one more law division, covenant law. There's 19 law divisions in the New Testament. I'll give you some examples. Romans seven twenty three. But I see another law. John seven twenty 1 Corinthians nine nine. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin or sin and rebellion. Romans seven and eight. We have at least six categories of law in Romans seven and eight. The law of Eloah. The law of Moses. That's all pre-New Covenant, the law of sin and death, the law of the mind, the law of the spirit, and the law of adultery. And then you have to go back to Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 and see what's already encoded within the Torah itself to show you that there is change in the law and transference already built into the law itself. Because what does until mean? I'll be here until I go down the road. Impending change. Correct? It's impending change. There's no way around it. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until there's some impending change when Shiloh comes. There's a change in the law that's written into the Torah for you all to discover and for us to discover. Freedom. Freedom to covenant and escape from the schoolmaster. Galatians 3.19, Wherefore then serveth the law? Identified in verse 10 as the book of the law. Why do you serve the book of the law? Because it was added because of transgressions. Yes, the multiple transgressions that were going on at the sin of the golden calf till the seed Messiah would come to whom the promises were made. The promises were made, Hebrews 9.10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation, specifically messianic reformation. So the book of the law was imposed upon Israel. They were carnal what? What does it say? They were carnal ordinances. They weren't agreed to covenant Torah. They were carnal ordinances. Why were they carnal? Because they were appealed to Israel's flesh to keep the flesh down so that the flesh wouldn't get crushed and annihilated. That was their purpose. Were they good? Were they holy? Were they righteous and were they just? Of course they were. That's Yahweh's long-suffering. But they were a temporary law enactment or law division. Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Until the times of the restitution of all things, until there's going to be an impending change. And that's the problem. People don't recognize that when Yeshua came as the Melchizedek high priest and he died and he rose again, that there must have been a change. There is a change. You see, that's the thing. And this is the big stumbling block. That those that would challenge, and it's okay to challenge, but would say there is no um, Melchizedek priesthood, when you question them further, they believe oftentimes that Yom Kippur still hasn't been fulfilled and it's something to do in the future. I have a big problem with that. Because when Yeshua rose from the dead and they came to grab a hold of him, what did he say? He said, do not touch me, I have not yet ascended to my Abba. Yet, several days later, it's fine for Timothy to stick his fingers... Thomas, excuse me, to stick his fingers... In Yeshua's side. What happened? In between the time of the garden and the time that Thomas stacked his fingers in his side, Yeshua took his blood to the heavenly altar, of which all of this was a picture of thereof, and he deposited his blood on the heavenly altar. The Passover, therefore, is the connecting rod to Yom Kippur that his atonement once and for all satisfied the wrath of Yahweh. His blood was placed on the Yom Kippur altar in the heavenlies so that now you can connect back to the covenants of promise. So you no longer have to swing chickens around your head. That's not even scriptural. I'm messing with you. (laughs) Second Corinthians three eleven. If that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. The covenants of promise. Ephesians 2.12. That at the time ye were former Gentiles. Verse 11. You were without Messiah. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And you were strangers. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. Because you had no hope of Yah in the world. Isn't that amazing? You were strangers. You couldn't connect back to the oath of Genesis 12. There was nothing that you could do. There was nothing that you could do in your flesh, no matter how righteous you think you are, there is nothing that you could do to connect back to the covenants of promise until Yeshua's, Yeshua's blood pays the death penalty position of Genesis 15 that allows you to connect back to the fullness and fidelity that Yahweh has for you. Now, the term, covenants of promise, it's a dedicated phrase. It has to do with those covenants that can directly attach back to Abraham's Genesis 15 promise. And I am fully aware that I make mistakes because I'm human, as we all make mistakes. But what you do is you own up your mistakes. There was a time a long time ago when I was a little boy (laughs) at Calvary Chapel where I taught that you couldn't even keep the Ten Commandments. You can't even keep the Ten Commandments. All right, I admit that I taught that. It's on, it's most probably on tape. (laughs) And I've confessed that, that I was wrong. I've also taught when I was at Calvary Chapel That the law is nailed to the cross, but don't look at me holier than thou, because you've all said it too, right? We've all said it. But then I got into the messianic movement, and I came to that verse in Colossians where it talks about the handwriting that's nailed to the cross, and you're like, well, hang on a minute. It's the law of adultery. That which is what was nailed to the cross. The law of adultery. Or it was your list of sin debt that was nailed to the cross. Not the whole of the law of Moses. It's talking about the law of... And then I think I did this whole great teaching about how it was the law of adultery. And I went back into the whole thing there in um, Numbers chapter 5. All right. I was wrong. I admit it. I say that right now. Now, let's really look at what that is talking about. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. It's not talking about that the whole of the Torah is nailed to the cross, as the antinomian church would have us believe. I was wrong. I apologize. But it is also not talking about just a list of your sin debts or the law of adultery that I taught when I was in the Messianic movement. I was wrong. I apologize. So now I come to Colossians and I find this very telling word the Greek word choreographon, like you're writing is in fact the word that's used for handwriting. And this is what we need to focus on. It's the choreographon, the handwriting, that was nailed and that was, here's a key phrase, a very dedicated phrase, against us. The choreographon, dedicated phrase, was against us. We have identified it. What is the choreographon and the dedicated phrase against us? According to the Torah, not according to Matthew Nolan, not according to Calvary Chapel, not according to the Messianic movement, but according to the words of Torah, are we safe to look at that, or are we going to hold on to our flagpole in our little bit of territory? No, we're going to go now, unhindered, and we're going to look at this dedicated phrase against us. And... Let the scripture explain what was against us written down and nailed to the cross. Tree, stake. I remember one time in a worship service, we were singing a song, and I don't know who, I mean, hopefully it wasn't a homeschooler. And I'm reading it, it's like, and he was nailed to the stake, S T A K. And I'm like, what? That's how they. they, they all right. Anyway, <laughs> steak, S-T-A-K-E. Colossians 2.14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the tree. Turn with me to Deuteronomy, the book of the law. Chapter 31, verse 26, take this book of the law and put it in the side of the Ark of the Covenant. Little side note for you, if the book of the law is in the side of the Ark of the Covenant which contain the covenant, if you found the book of the law, would you find the book of the Covenant? And if you found the book of the covenant, would you find the book of the law? Does that prove a synonymous relationship? No, it doesn't. It just means that they were closed by a neighborly. That one was added as a witness against the other. We have to slow things down. We have to go back to the Torah and find out that one was put in the side of the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh your Elohim. That it may be there as a what? We're going to find that dedicated phrase. That the book of the law was a witness against you. Identifying now the dedicated phrase. But not once. Let's go to the 19th verse of Deuteronomy. Now, this song may be a witness against the children of Israel. What song? The song of Moses, which is in the book of the law, is a witness against, there's the dedicated phrase, the children of Israel because they broke the covenant. Deuteronomy 31 verse 20. Then they will turn unto other Elohim and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. Deuteronomy 31 verse 21, that this song shall testify against them as a witness. There's that dedicated phrase. Verse 26, that it may serve there for a witness against thee. Verse 27, ye have been rebellious against Yahweh and how much more after my death. Verse 28, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to record against them. So when Yeshua comes along in Matthew five 17, knee-jerk reaction in the Messianic movement, what is the verse that we all go to to prove Torah, Torah, and some more Torah? Matthew 5, not one, I know I've done it. I have literally tried to ram that verse down everybody's throat I could ever find. But the key is what? Not one jot or tittle shall pass away from the law until all things are fulfilled. And then he directly quotes what was against us. Are the heavens and the earth now witnessing against us if we've been returned to covenant? Thank you. That's why it appears and that's why Yeshua quotes it because he's about to fulfill everything, not do away, bring it to its fullness fruition to connect you back to covenant. That's why he mentions the heavens and the earth because when you're in the covenant, the heavens and the earth will no longer witness against you. You see, we only went halfway in the messianic movement not to the fullness and fruition of the full council of the priesthood it's all right there that i may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to record against them deuteronomy 31:29 for i know after my death you'll utterly corrupt yourselves so the torah context of deuteronomy 31 defines the very use of the word choreographon colossians 2:14 it defines the very use. We don't have to make it up. It was the book of the law that was a witness against the children of Israel. That when Yeshua came as the zedek high priest and he paid the death penalty position, he nailed the book of the law to the tree so that you could return to covenant. Torah, righteousness, no longer be a nation with a Aaronic priesthood, but you could be a holy nation and a royal kingdom of priests. There's that narrow road again, right? But sometimes you have to just stand up and say, I was wrong. Because if we are so defensive of our turf, we will never grow. I pray to Yahweh that I find more revelation and continue to grow with all of you. Because I'm not going to defend this little piece of turf because there is so much more. It's a walk where we walk onward together. I could sing that song, Onward Christian Soldiers, right now. But I'm sure someone would take issue with me over it. Well, we're not Christians, we're Hebraic, we're Ephraim Israel. Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enemity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to make himself of twain one new man, bringing you an eyepiece. We're supposed to be one new man, one One new man. The law of commandments that were contained in ordinances isn't a record of sin debt. Notice that the law of commandments contained in ordinances, Ephesians 2.15, is very different, very different from the commandment laws contained in covenant, Ephesians 2.12. Because these Melchizedek covenants contain Melchizedek covenant Torah, that very much still stands today. Very much still stands today. Yeshua set aside the Levitical Hebrews 7.11, book of the law, Galatians three ten seventeen 17-19, Colossians 2.14, Ephesians 2.15, Hebrews 10.9, and he took away what? That book of the law that was a witness against us. Galatians three seventeen and this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before it was blood ratified before, the book of the law, the law, which was four hundred and thirty years after cannot disannul that it should make the promise those covenants of promise of none effect. For if the inheritance was of the law, book of the law identified earlier, it's no more of promise. But Yah gave it to Abraham by promise. Notice that Abraham always comes up in the context of Galatians. Why? Because he's the connecting rod. The book of the covenant is the very inheritance, the seal that came and is that covenant confirming national book that was given to Israel. And it had the promise and it is the connecting rod but it is in no way part of the book of the law. Torah today has been bastardized to mean law, but it doesn't mean that. It means what? Teaching and instruction or a successive light of teaching and instruction. But we have to mean, realize it's successive. It builds and builds and builds and builds. And of course, Yeshua is the fullness of the Torah in bodily form. Galatians three nineteen. When, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the Messiah Yeshua Malkezedic, that seed should come to whom the promise was made, till Shiloh would come. Genesis forty nine verse ten. That impending change. The covenants of promise have no part of the book of the law. The law Paul is speaking of is none other, of course, than that book of the law, Galatians 3.10. And it is in no way part of the covenant because it cannot be mixed in as such. And that's what it is. It's a mixing in of everything. It's a smorgasbord of everything. Wherefore then serveth the law was added because of those transgressions. And if you really just slow down and break that down, let's just do it just for sport. Finish up this way. I do like to be sarcastic sometimes. I think this is going to be one of those times. <laughs> Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions to the law. Well, that makes no sense. Can we think about it? Transgressions to what? The law? Are we really to conclude the law was added to the law because of transgressions to the law? Oh, yes, okay, I'm going then because I'm stupid and I don't think. See, there's my sarcasm. But really? Really? Oh my goodness, it makes no sense. Neither does the Torah being added to the Torah make any sense. The only way that Galatians 3.19 makes sense in light of verse 17 and 18 is what? Is that the law which would added could never be covenant. Is that that law which could never be covenant was added alongside next to the covenant because of transgressions against the covenant because of the sin of the golden calf the law was added alongside the broken covenant as a witness against you that makes sense That's the only thing that makes sense in light of the previous verses. But strip away the previous verses, stick a piece of flag and a pole in the turf, and you can't see the wood for the bloody trees. And you have this defensive mechanism, and it's unfruitful, and it hinders the people of Yahweh. I have had more encouragement this week from all over the world, haven't we? From all over the world, because this people are just excited about being able to learn and then go out and teach themselves. Because he's raising us all up. He doesn't want one person up in front of you teaching you, so you're all sitting there like lemmings. We are all to go and do the work together. That's why I say I facilitate. You ask questions. We challenge one another. We're not sticking to a piece of turf. We're going out to the nations. That's amazing stuff, isn't it? That is having the big picture. And there is the freedom of the priesthood to royal covenant Torah. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. I love that verse right there. So the book of the covenant is that blood-ratified covenant Galatians 3.15, Exodus 24.8, even our own marriages, human marriage is blood ratified covenant. And if either of the spouses breaches the marriage covenant, there is nothing in that covenant that legally adjudicates that infraction or that breach of covenant, is there? What do you have to do? You have to go to the court. You have to go to the magistrate of law that is outside the marriage covenant so that you can have mediation. It's no different. You see, the natural shows what is really going on in the spiritual. I'm so excited as we continue to go down this Malkitsedic path. And I want to thank everyone for the words of encouragement. And truly, truly... It's an honor and a privilege as we go and delve into the word of Yahweh together. That there are literally, we're seeing one from a town, two from a city. But it's not limited to this nation. It's all nations. And Yahweh is amazing. And he's truly waking up his people from all kinds of backgrounds. All kinds of backgrounds. Questions, comments, anybody at all? Silent. The only thing we have is a thank you from oh. the internet. We had uh, four countries on at one time, uh, sure. South Africa, See, the South Africans, those South Africans, those guys, I tell you, they're busy. Busy searching and digging diligently. I've always had my eyes on the believers in South Africa. Even 10 years ago, there was always a big group down there searching and doing their due diligence. And it's exciting to see truly getting the contacts from South Africa. We have a South African now that's going to say something. Do your best South African accent. <laughs> I heard a question this week. Uh, what about the people before Abraham? How does the covenant apply to them? Well, a great example, a great example was with Adam. Adam being a Melchizedek, and he taught it was the at that part. at that point was to an individual and a family. And then, like I said, at Exodus 19, it went from not just an individual and a family. The blessing got taken. It was that fulfillment to a nation and families. But what we see of people before Abraham is exactly what we see with Cain and Abel. They were offering sacrifices underneath the Melchizedek authority of their father. And that's how they learn, and that's how we find that one's offering was satisfactory and acceptable to Yahweh, yet the other, Cain, his was not. So in the scope of things, before Abraham, there wasn't the covenants of promise, but there was the order of Melchizedek that went down in successive order through the Divar, the spoken word of the priest and the priesthood. Just a comment. Uh, I just want to praise y'all for your, your spirit, brother. Uh, it seems it, like every time you preach, you challenge me to another level. Oh, praise and y'all. I, want to thank, I want to thank y'all for this, for specifically for this lesson, because while I was sitting here, a lot of things connected at that moment. The uh, spirit uh, just opened my eyes to a lot of uh, things that I learned in the past. But thank you and uh, praise you for you, brother. And you know what's really encouraging though is the lessons that we've learned in the past, they we can bring forward to where we are today in the present that will make us better in the future. So I don't despise those beginnings. And it says in the word not to despise. I think of everything in my life is orchestrated for that specific purpose so that I would be able to come today and communicate what I have the honor and privilege of communicating. Because if I hadn't had those experiences in the Messianic movement, I wouldn't be who I am today. If I hadn't had those experiences, Experiences and opportunities at Calvary Chapel. I wouldn't be who I am today, and if I hadn't had those experiences, walking hand in hand with the devil, I wouldn't. But you know, I, I really. So we have own egg and food blessings, right? All right, let's let's finish with yes. A question in the back. Yes. We do have an announcement, and we're going to make this announcement online, that we do have a women's retreat that is coming up in the near future that one of our dear sisters is organizing. So if you would like information about the women's retreat, then please email us at info at com. But those of you in the assembly here in the midst, go and see The Lady in Red. Abba, we thank you for this Shabbat. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you, Abba, for your covenant realm and your covenant people. Am Israel. Chai. All right.